0: Turn with me and your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm 19. i um, will read
1: starting at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So uh, I plan to spend at
0: least the next three Tuesdays finishing out our exploration of the themes of uh, this first chapter of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, dealing with the Holy Scriptures. So uh, our brother Trey has done an able job explaining God's graciousness and faithfulness to us in his effective revelation of his inspired writings. And we explored the inspiration and authority of the Scriptures and differentiated between God's revelation of himself through what has been made, uh, his natural revelation, and his revelation of himself through his holy word. We've seen the necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit in revealing God's inspired books to his people. And uh, throughout, uh, we have seen, it's been explained, that scripture contains all of the necessary information uh, to lead us to an understanding of of, uh, God's holy precepts and of the saving work of Christ. And it contains everything we need to know in order to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus. And so it's this last doctrine, uh, the the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture, that I'd like to draw out uh, a bit more this evening. So the first portion of section uh, 1 6 of the 1689 begins like this The sum total of God's revelation concerning all things essential to his own glory and to the salvation and faith and life of men is either explicitly set down or implicitly contained in the Holy Scripture. And these words harken back to the first sentence of the first section in this chapter. Um, Section 1-1 reads, The Holy Scripture is the all-sufficient, certain, and infallible rule or standard of the knowledge, faith, and obedience that constitutes salvation. So, uh, what does it mean to say that the Scriptures are sufficient? The first thing we should note is what the Scriptures are and are not sufficient for. Um, For example, this doctrine does not teach that Scripture contains all of the information that we will ever need to function in our daily lives. We will not find instruction for how to drive a car or grill a steak or do the dishes in the Bible. We need revelation from other sources to learn those things. Um, But look at what the Confession does say that Scripture is sufficient for. It is sufficient revelation of all things essential to his own glory and to the salvation and faith and life of men. It is a sufficient standard of the knowledge, faith, and obedience that constitutes salvation. This means that all of the knowledge that it is necessary for a person to have and believe in order to receive God's saving grace and to live in accordance with it are found in Scripture. Uh, so, which beliefs? which doctrines are necessary to hold as true uh, in order for one to have saving knowledge of Christ. Um, Or to put it another way, what doctrines can you not be a Christian without believing? Um, I hesitate even to go into this. Um, I'm sort of uh, second guessing it now, but it's here. So we might as well, might as well go for it. Um, uh, I'm not going to go too deeply into it. There's opportunity here. To go very in depth into some very important conversations, um, but I'm going to refrain from going too deeply because as we continue in our uh, our studies of the doctrines that are expounded in the 1689, uh, we will undoubtedly enter into some of these conversations. So, uh, quickly, here's a list of um, some necessary Christian beliefs, uh, the essentials of the faith, as I understand them. Um, we have to believe the in the existence of God as he describes himself in scripture, personal, triune, omniscient, or all-knowing, omnipotent, or all-powerful, and omnibenevolent, or all-loving. We have to believe in the existence of Christ as he is revealed in the scriptures, uh, that he is the Messiah promised in the Hebrew scriptures, that he came in physical flesh, that he was both fully God and fully man, and that he died and rose bodily as described in the scriptures.
1: Um, We have to believe that man is fallen, and that we are guilty or or culpable of sin, and we are helpless to save ourselves. And we have to believe
0: that salvation is found in Christ alone, and is by grace alone, through faith alone. Um, Now, this may not be an exhaustive list, and we could definitely benefit from further contemplation and discussion on this subject. Uh, There are some other things that I maybe should have added, and. There are some things here that others might argue don't belong. Uh, These are the uh, important conversations that I mentioned earlier, um, but I believe this to be a good short list. So to get an idea of what the Scriptures say about their own sufficiency, because that's where we have to look, as Brother Trey uh, pointed out, in order to justify any claim, we have to appeal to some ultimate standard. uh, And since Scripture is the only adequate ultimate standard when it comes to these issues, we have to appeal to... To it, in order to justify our claims about it, if we were to try to appeal to any other source, um, that would make that source uh, the the um, our ultimate standard, right? So, scriptures are our ultimate standard here. So, we have to go to the scriptures again uh, to see how they are sufficient. So, um, let's look back at the verses. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Let's look at Second Timothy. Chapter
1: three uh, starting in verses in verse fourteen Second Timothy three fourteen. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of,
0: knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Paul wrote his letters to Timothy. This was Paul speaking to Timothy, uh, who he called his son in the faith. Um, And this is his instruction and encouragement uh, to a a young man who had been given the responsibility of eldership in the church at Ephesus. And so this was a young church, uh, obviously, as all churches were at that time. Um, and Timothy and the other elders were dealing with uh, many of the issues that were common in these young churches and uh, which still exist in many of our churches today. There were uh, quarrels and division over doctrine, uh, false teachings, uh, tolerance of sin and, and other problems. And so here Paul exhorts Timothy uh, to remember the foundation of truth and, and the power of the inspired Scriptures. So the Greek word uh, translated inspired there in verse 16 is theonoustos, which theo is God and new, uh, P-N-E-W, we might know from the word like pneumatic, right, air or breath. Uh, so um, inspired in verse 16, uh, the word used there, the Greek word theonoustos literally means God breathed. Right, these scriptures are God breathed. So Paul is encouraging Timothy uh, by way of reminder. He's saying, uh, Timothy, remember and take heart. You have the God breathed scriptures. Uh, you've been taught them from childhood. You know the source of truth. You have the living Word of God to equip you to handle all of these issues. In this Word, you have the wisdom that leads to salvation. Uh, Timothy, you have the gospel. You have the power of salvation unto all those that believe it. You have access to the power that can change hearts. Use it to fill your church with holiness and righteousness. In the scriptures, you have all that is needed for both yourself and your sheep to learn the ways of godliness. The scriptures offer righteous reproof and correction. And if you commit yourself to them, they will train you in righteousness so that you and your people might be equipped for every good and godly work. God has given you the means. Uh, He has given you, Timothy, you along with all of his people, uh, along with you and me, uh, he's given us everything we need to do the work that he's called us to do and to do it effectively for his glory. Uh, So when the scriptures tell us that they're able to make us complete, it means that they contain all of the revelation necessary for understanding why we need Christ, how to enter into his covenant of grace and salvation, um, and how to think, act, and live In accordance with righteousness if we want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus we have to look to the scriptures to tell us how Uh, not our emotions not our reason not our intellect not um, any other man's word uh, not our own experience we can't make the mistake of defining things like love and compassion and justice uh, or virtue according to our own feelings or preferences. Uh, Scripture is sufficient to define these things for us and to instruct us in our understanding of them so that we might exercise them in accordance with reality. It is the Scriptures we must look to, Uh, and all aspects of who we are must be informed, controlled, and ruled by the truth of God's Word. We must allow the Scriptures to judge our emotions and our desires and not the other way around. Um, Our culture suffers greatly because we have not done this, Uh, and this is at least partly responsible uh, for the absolute absurdity and the the degradation and the evil uh, that we see in our culture today. When we allow our feelings to rule over Scripture, we get a culture, and even churches, that uh, can't explain or refuse to explain what a woman is. Uh, We get a culture that murders its young. We get a culture that sees theft as virtuous, uh, that calls sodomy love. And that would call a parent who refused to um, drug their child or mutilate their child's genitals uh, abusive for not doing these things. We we live in a world where we're having these conversations where you can say um, that a man can't be a woman and a woman can't be a man, and that be a controversial statement. And that's because we've elevated... Uh, our own feelings, our own thoughts, our own opinions, our own preferences above the Word of God. We've not looked to the Word of God as a standard. Uh, we don't, we haven't believed that it is sufficient uh, unto righteousness, right? Um, so, Scripture defines and conveys the truth of who God is, who we are, and how we are to live in light of it, right? Now, how? How are these truths expressed in Scripture? Um, How are they set forth within for us to find? So if we were to go back to the 1689 uh, there in section one, six, uh, the sum total of God's revelation concerning all things essential to his own glory and to the salvation and faith and life of men is either explicitly set down or implicitly contained in the Holy scriptures. Uh so, the writers of the confession have taken pains here to clarify that uh not all of these necessary truths of scripture are explicitly stated uh within some of them are many of them are, but some are only implied right we we have to uh we have to infer them from what we read um, a good example of one of our essential doctrines that we mentioned earlier that is explicitly stated is that of man's fallenness, his guilt, uh, and his inability. So if we read Paul's treatment of this uh, these doctrines in Romans chapter 3, uh, it's, it's impossible to ignore, right? There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have sinned and fallen short of his glory. Man can only be justified as a gift by grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. He cannot justify himself. That's pretty explicit uh, in that chapter. Um, but to give an example of one of these essential doctrines that is nowhere explicitly stated, but is implied throughout Scripture and is unavoidable when one takes into account the entire counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation, uh, is the doctrine of God's triuneness, right? or the doctrine of the Trinity. So we find nowhere in Scripture an explicit statement that God is one being who eternally exists as three distinct persons, right? Scripture does not come out anywhere and make that that statement the way that we understand the Trinity. Um, But this doctrine is implicitly explained in Scripture's testimony that God is one, that God is one God, uh, that the Father is God, that the Son is God, and that the Spirit is God. But right? all four of these truths are explicitly stated in Scripture, but we do read those explicit statements. There's only one God, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. We do see that um, drawn up through Scripture, so all four of these truths are explicitly stated, and when taken and believed together, they logically testify to the truth of the Trinity. Um, it's implicitly contained uh within scripture or as a, as the Westminster confession of faith puts it um this doctrine is derived by good and necessary consequence right when we take scripture as a whole um, and we take it together we're we're forced to to see this doctrine and so there there are a lot of these doctrines a lot of this knowledge a lot of these things that um are set forth in scripture in that implicit kind of way so not all of these doctrines and concepts are easy to discern or to understand um, it's necessary to do digging uh, and study to apprehend these truths and recognize the harmony between them. And it's it's also it's our duty to do that. It's our duty to seek after God in His Word. It's our duty to dig. Um, scripture is so easy to twist uh, and and thereby deceive ourselves and others. It's it's a, a really simple matter uh, to pluck a particular verse from out of the middle of a book. Uh, quote it in isolation and apply it in ways that it was never meant to be applied. We see this all the time. Um, this is a tactic that, that false teachers rely upon. And people fall for it because uh, oftentimes we're more willing to take someone's word for it uh, than we are to be like the Bereans of Paul's day, of whom he says in uh, Acts uh, seventeen eleven that these Bereans were noble-minded because they searched the Scriptures daily to make sure that what Paul was telling them was true they didn't just take his word for it right and and that's difficult to do that requires us to to put in time and effort and work right the lazy way is just to be spoon fed just to accept whatever we're told um that's easy for us to do and so that's that's one way in which so many people are so easily deceived because they're not willing to do what God has called every christian to do which is to, uh, to dig into his word, to be in his word, to study, to think about it, to meditate on it, um, to see what great and godly men and women of the past have said about it, and, and to use the discernment that God has given us to see these things. Um, so scripture must be examined in context. Right? This can be hard work too. Right? We need to take into account um, the historical context, cultural context, literary context the immediate context, and then we have to take it in context with the entirety of Scripture in order to accurately comprehend the meaning of any verse or any passage of Scripture. Um, And this means hard work and study, but it is so rewarding when we are are made sure, when we become confident of the truths of God through our study. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, Uh, but don't. Don't take my word for it. Be like the Bereans. Um, So now we come to what may be uh, the most important application of this doctrine. And I say this because it deals with errors and abuses that have caused and that uh, continue to cause much damage, destruction, and grief um, to those who, who claim to know Christ, but reject the important truth of of the sufficiency of scripture. All right. So at the end of this first paragraph of section one, six, we read this morning, nothing, whether a supposed revelation of the spirit or man's traditions is ever to be added to scripture. Um, Nothing is to be added. You know, Paul uh, says to the Galatians that if anyone comes to you and preaches a doctrine uh, or a gospel, that is contrary to what I've preached, that is a different gospel, um, consider them damned. Let them be anathema, right? Uh, we we read in, in Revelation 21, um, or maybe 22, I didn't write it down, but John says, you know, anyone who takes from or who, or who adds to the word of this book uh, will not receive the blessings, but will receive the curses therein. So scripture is... Um, is a, a, a unified whole, right? As, as we learned uh, in, in our previous uh, uh, studies here in the confession, as Trey brought out, um, we have the complete
1: and sealed word of God. It is uh, lacking nothing. It's lacking nothing and not, there's nothing that's in there that's uh
0: extemporaneous that's not needed right it it is it is a self-contained uh complete revelation of god so for any man to come along to presume that they can add to it right or take from it um is is presuming that we can come in and we can violate uh this 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 thing that god has given us that we can tear apart uh something that god has placed together um, and 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 we can go outside of the boundaries of what God has clearly defined for us. So scripture is a unified whole, and um, we can't violate that by adding to it. Uh, so nothing is to be added. Scripture is sufficient revelation in itself. Nothing outside of Scripture is necessary uh, in order to have true revelation
1: of how to have life and live it in a godly way. Um Now, when I say that, there there is a a, a
0: qualification there. There's a caveat there, right? Um, And maybe a good way to think of it would be that Scripture is sufficient uh, in itself as a standard, right? So if I were to say, uh, and and we'll look at some of this in a little bit, but if I were to say that Scripture gives me everything that I need to be a godly husband, um, in a way that's very true, right? Because... I could tell by my, my actions towards my wife, if I hold them up to scripture, um, whether or not I'm in violation of something scripture says, whether or not I'm treating her in accordance with the scripture. But there are also things that I need to know about her um, that are specific to her personality, right? And and specific to her preferences, uh, the things that she needs. Um, And maybe she needs some things more than others. Scripture doesn't give me that particular information about Leslie. But um, Scripture gives me all the information that I need in order to know, right, the the principles that I need, the guiding uh, principles that I need to know whether or not I'm treating my wife
1: in a godly way, whether or not I'm being a godly husband. Um, so all of that information, uh,
0: is there, right? But there are other, other ways that I need to,
1: other bits of information I need to glean that I, that I can't take directly from the pages of scripture. Um, so, uh, just as a little aside, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, a little more later,
0: but the idea, um, that nothing should be added. Right, Nothing, whether a supposed revelation of the Spirit or man's traditions, is ever to be added to Scripture. Uh, this is a direct refutation of and a protection from certain beliefs and practices in the Roman Catholic Church, as well as other Christian traditions of the time. Um, and as Troy explained a few weeks ago, Rome governed its practices and teachings not by sola scriptura or Scripture alone, uh, but by sola ecclesia, right, the Church alone now they wouldn't say that right if you remember uh he explained that rome claimed that the scriptures were authoritative but authoritative alongside along with ecclesiastical tradition and certain papal uh, declarations so the word of the pope when he speaks uh, what is known as ex cathedra or from the chair um is infallible according to roman doctrine and therefore it carries authority equal to that of scripture and in the same way The traditions of the church and uh, the declarations of previous popes. They're also considered uh, on par with Scripture as far as being authoritative. Uh, But we need to see, just as Trey showed us, um, that these other two church, uh, these other two, church tradition and papal decree uh, in the Roman system actually end up uh, being more, uh, functionally more authoritative than Scripture because it is by these things. Uh, that that Rome says that the inspired scriptures must be determined, right? We have to look to the the word of the the church. Uh, The church is is what tells us whether or not a book is inspired, right? And so that's how they end up with an extra seven books in their Bible, Um, uh, the books known as the Apocrypha. Uh, And it's through church tradition and papal decree uh, that Rome teaches that the right meaning of scripture must be explained. Uh, ordinary believers can't understand the necessary things of Scripture. Right? We have to have the church. It was necessary for the church uh, to provide the proper interpretation, and it's only through the church that the sacraments necessary for salvation uh, can be applied. Therefore, it's only through the continued teaching and involvement of the church that one can be saved. <clears throat> so Rome will say uh, that the scriptures are authoritative, but they're not sufficient. Right? We need. Um, we need ecclesiastical tradition we need uh, the the mouthpiece the vicar of God uh, the Pope as well um, so the scriptures are not sufficient and Rome uh, believes itself to be the final authority of what these scriptures are and what they mean and Rome gets it uh, terribly and horribly wrong um, so Jesus says of the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7 uh, starting in verse 6 He said, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God you hold to the tradition of men. And then Jesus goes on to accuse them of invalidating the word of God uh, by their traditions that they have handed down. Um, Rome and and some other faith traditions that claim to be of Christ have done the very same thing. And they're subject to the same accusation from Christ as these Pharisees were. They despise and reject the truth in favor of their traditions. And in Rome's case, their false teachings uh, led to the subversion of what what is arguably the most precious and the most important truth of Scripture, Um, that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. And not by works, so that no one can boast. And it was the reclamation of this doctrine uh, that makes the period of church history known as the Reformation so important um, and so worth being celebrated by the people of God. The doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture was expounded and taught to the people by the Reformers. And as a result, the people came to understand that the way of salvation taught by Rome is not the way of salvation that God proclaims in his word. Uh, And praise God that he was gracious to expose these lies. Um, But still, it's important for us to realize that Rome is still peddling these lies. Uh, Though many believed and accepted the truths reclaimed by the reformers, Rome still holds many under the sway of its false teachings today. Uh, Of the estimated 2.38 billion identifying Christians in the world, 50% of them claim Roman Catholicism. So when we say that, that, that uh, 2.3, almost 2.5 billion people in the world are Christians, uh, we
1: have to realize that um, half of that, right, that um, over uh, a billion of those uh, I, people identifying as Christians um, are Roman Catholic.
0: Uh, these people are trapped under deadly false teaching. All because they refused to acknowledge the sole authority and sufficiency of God's word to inform Christian faith and practice. Um, so Rome added to the scriptures. And, uh, when, when this confession was penned, um, it was, uh, a, a direct refutation of, um, the doctrines of Rome, right? So this, this, uh, idea that scripture is sufficient in itself and that nothing can be added to it. Nothing equals it in authority and nothing can explain these necessary doctrines uh, in a, a way that is superior to scripture or on par with scripture. It um, was a direct refutation of, of Rome's teaching, but there are other dangerous ways of adding to scripture uh, that are prevalent in our day in many Protestant churches. Um and that is uh, seeking after so-called uh, personal revelation or private revelation uh, and viewing it as authoritative, right? For, so for some, it's not enough to have the Word of God in Scripture. Uh, many are looking for some other extraordinary and supernatural revelation. Uh, and so this is common in more uh, charismatic circles. But over the past few decades, this way of thinking and and, and some of these similar ideas um, has kind of bled over into uh, the broader evangelical church. So uh, in the charismatic movement, there are many prophets and apostles uh, out there who preach and teach as though God speaks directly to them uh, in a way that he doesn't speak to the rest of us. Uh, and they're known for, for giving instruction to the church that oftentimes goes beyond what scripture says or it reinterprets scripture in and, fallacious and false ways. Um, almost all heretical movements have begun with some charismatic leader uttering the phrase, uh, God told me, God told me this. Right? Think Mormonism, think uh, Joseph Smith. Um, and some movements teach that to have a true relationship with God as Father uh, means hearing him through personal revelation. If God's your father, if uh, if you're you're saved and you belong to him, he's going to speak to you in the supernatural way. Um, And I believe that it's really easy for us to become attracted to uh, this kind of teaching because of a desire to receive specific revelation uh, from God regarding specific questions and decisions that we might be faced with. Like, should I take this job? Uh, Should I marry this person? Lord, what is your plan for my life? Um, And this type of revelation does not, Appear explicitly in Scripture. Scripture is not going to tell us, give us the answers to these questions, right? Um, so uh, we may seek after it in, in dreams, in visions, or try to obtain a, a word of the Lord from some self proclaimed prophet. Uh, we may seek to hear some uh inner, small, still voice uh, which places us in danger. Uh, mistaking the lusts of the heart as messages from God. By nature, we are susceptible to believe uh, just what we want to believe and to hear only what we want to hear. And because of this, if we adhere to these types of practices, uh, we may simply be telling ourselves what we want to hear. Um, Or worse yet, we place ourselves in danger of demonic influence. Um, and, and we can then justify the decisions that we make based on these, these revelations saying, God told me to do this, right? Uh, we received divine revelation. Um. So as we've already seen, uh, scripture is not always explicit when it comes to what faithfulness looks like in every situation. Uh, so one may ask um, what career or, or what person should I pursue in order to best glorify God in my life? Uh, but we have to recognize the scriptures are not some magic eight ball that we can then uh, shake up and have the answer to that question just kind of float to the top um, as often as I have wished it did work that way. Uh, but the answers are there even to these types of specific questions, right? So um this is kind of along the lines of what I was talking about earlier. Uh, the answers to these types of questions are revealed. Um, In the principles and the commands that are plainly laid out in God's word. So the scriptures may not tell us by name exactly what person we should pursue as a spouse, but they do tell us what kind of person we should pursue. Um, We're told what virtues we should esteem and admire in others. And we're told what a godly wife or husband looks like. Um, And we can then hold any potential Uh, spouse up to the standard laid out in scripture and not with uh, an unreasonable expectation of of perfect conformity to this standard. Um, But with the discernment that God gives us, we can look at the fruit of a person's life and expect to recognize a genuine desire in that person to be conformed. Um, And that's the wisdom the scriptures uh, give. I I can hold up um, any, any potential, person or or career or or any potential decision I'm faced with and, and I can uh, hold it up against the word and I can look at the principles and the commands and what God teaches me about himself and what God teaches me about what it means to be a godly person uh, and I, and I can see within these principles I can use them as guides as infallible guides to help me make these choices so it's not going mag- to magically just give me a person's name. Right? Or it's not going to say, you know, pick so-and-so or pick so-and-so. But it can help me to vet the candidates, if you see what I'm saying. um, And it can also make clear to me, if I'm trying to be uh, obedient to God and glorify Him in my choice, it can also show me clearly who not to choose. Right? So as Christians, uh,
1: we're called to not be unequally, unevenly yoked with unbelievers. So obviously if this person is an unbeliever, the answer is no. And the danger is that there are so many people out
0: there that could go to scripture and see that clearly, but Oh, they, there's something in their heart. I just feel like God is telling me that they're the one, you know, that's the danger. That's the mistake, right? And how how often do you see examples of this and, in, and in, in people that claim to be Christians, all right, in one way or another? Um, so again, the answers are there. They're just not always easy to find, uh, but we can expect revelation from God. And even these specific matters, if we'll just seek this wisdom in the only place where it can be found. Um, so another reason that might cause one to seek some kind of supernatural revelation apart from scripture is that the scriptures often confront us with truths uh, that make us uncomfortable. Or they come into conflict with our presupposed understanding of of whatever love, justice, righteousness. It can be easier to accept some alternative understanding uh, that that's that's friendlier to our way of thinking, right? Or to prioritize some personal revelation uh, which happens to agree with our presupposed understandings. Um, this is a lot easier than it is to actually change our perceptions and our presuppositions and our understandings uh, in these matters. So again, it's it's for these reasons that we'll often hear things like uh, God told me to leave my spouse or God told me to leave my church or uh, any other uh, thing along those lines, when uh, rather the truth is often that if we were to go to scripture and heed what it says, uh, we'd be admonished to do the hard work of bearing with one another in love and of forgiving slights and of recognizing the things uh, that both marriage and Church membership requires sacrifice and seeking the good of others before our own, right? But sometimes it's just so much easier to make that break, especially when you're part of a culture or society uh, that
1: it's no big deal, right? It's no big deal. Well, I mean, I'm not happy anymore, so why shouldn't I leave? And society says, yeah, sure, why shouldn't you? And that's what we do, right? Um, but if we were to go to Scripture, right, is gonna ask us to do the hard thing, the thing that we don't really want to do. Um, and so that's a reason
0: that a lot of people will avoid that. Um so who's gonna argue with, with someone saying, Well, God told me, God led me. Um, and not that there aren't good and scriptural reasons for doing these things, right, for leaving. Um, but we need to be sure that our reasons for leaving are indeed In accordance with scripture and not in violation of it. So we don't make these decisions based on our feelings. Uh, We got to let scripture define truth for us and we got to give it dominion over our perceptions. Uh, We can't make the mistake of giving our feelings sovereignty over our reality. We need to recognize the rightful kingship of Christ over them. So when the word and our feelings conflict, it is our feelings that must give way. Um, The English Puritan, John Owen, has a wonderful quote uh, regarding this private revelation that I had to figure out a way to wedge in here somewhere. Uh, But he says, if private revelations agree with scripture, uh, they're needless. And if they disagree with scripture, they're false. So if our private revelations agree, then we don't even need them, right? They're they're useless. They're purposeless. Uh, We could have just gone to the scriptures and gotten it. and if our private revelations disagree, they're useless, right because they're false, and they need to be rejected so either way, they're useless. We have the scriptures uh, which are sufficient in these matters and so one more thing I'd like to add before I finish um the fact that scripture is sufficient as a source of knowledge for all things uh, pertaining to godliness does not mean that we can't look to other sources for help in understanding scripture right There's a difference between uh, reading a book that, that that helps us to understand certain doctrines or precepts or or or, or verses um, and, and and sections of scripture, and in elevating that uh, to an authority on par with scripture, right? So, um, God has given understanding to His people, uh, both past and present, and books written by godly men and women, um as well as the advice and teaching of uh, knowledgeable brothers and sisters can be valuable resources for understanding the revelation of scripture. This is why God has given teachers to the church. This is why we have pastors and elders and teachers and preachers. Um, So uh, we just have to be careful to judge any teaching by the light of scripture and to never elevate any man's word over the word of God. Uh, so the doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture teaches that scripture and scripture alone can and should dictate our understanding of truth. And what is the righteous reaction to it? It's the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. And if we view it and treat it and treasure it as such, it'll make us adequate and complete for every good work in Christ. So I'm going to leave off here. And if God is willing, we'll pick up, uh, uh, continue from the second paragraph in section
1: 1-6 next week. Um, so if you guys would just pray with me one more time. Father in heaven, Lord God, we do pray, Father, that you'll help us to see and to understand
0: what it means, Lord, that your scripture is sufficient. Father, that you have been
1: gracious and faithful in supplying us uh, with the source of of all knowledge, Lord, everything that we need to know, to understand the truth of who you are and of who we are and of how to live lives and make decisions and choices uh, that are pleasing to you. Father, help us to value your holy word in this manner. Lord, help us to go to it first. Father, in, in in anything, Lord, with any question, with any decision, help us to use it as our guide, as our standard, um, as our teacher, as our counselor. Help us to trust, Lord, that you've given us all that we need in your word. Father, uh, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.